Episode 1083, Ready, Set, Jihad. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Christian, bringing you theology at warp speed. I'm Ed Anderson. And I am Ben DeVono. And that didn't take long. Two months after warning us of of the dangers of AI, here we are, wow. a watershed moment in society. Do you want to tell people what uh, the title means? Oh, I do, yeah. So the title, of course, is a reference to the uh, Butlerian Jihad from, from Dune. So I think, what was that last episode called where I talked about... Uh, the danger of AI. Well, let's see. It was shortly before Cookie Christmas. And it was. I think it, the last episode you did, was this the Thought Trilogy? Yeah. Episode 1073, Fight the Long Defeat. Uh, was it called the Butlerian Manifesto? That was episode 1071. Okay. Yep. That's the one I'm referencing. Okay. So in that episode, I kind of laid out. Oh, yeah. that was That's the conclusion. And then oh, the Fight the Long Defeat was the epilogue. Right. right. So you actually had four episodes. Yeah. All and connected. Four, four episode trilogy. Yeah. So, you know, the Butlerian Manifesto, again, the name taken from Frank Herbert's Butlerian Jihad uh, from Dune, was kind of laying out, like, what is our response to this potential rise of AI, this this human-crushing um, experience that, that, that seems like it's on the horizon. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, been, it's felt like it was on the horizon for many years, actually. It has. It has. But things are heating up. And I, I'd so, so that was, that was like, what, two and a half months ago? Probably yeah. not even that. No, we posted it on November 22nd, 2022, and we're recording this on January 24th, 2023. Yeah, so, so two months ago, virtually exactly. And I would say that what has happened in AI over the last two months uh, has radically changed the situation. Uh, what, what are you, th- I know about, Chat GPT, but what Chat else GPT are you thinking of? Chat is, GPT 100% is the main thing that I'm thinking about. So, you know, if you're not familiar with Chat GPT, I'll explain a little bit about what it is and, and some of what's going to be coming soon uh, and why I find this so dangerous. But I, I think where I want to start here is there's a, you know, there, there's a myth that I think frames the current situation quite well and, and why I think this is so concerning. That myth is Pandora's box. You know, everybody's familiar with Pandora's box. Uh, but there's an important f- feature of the Pandora's box myth that I think gets underlooked. Like everybody knows, you know, Pandora's box opens up and all sorts of bad stuff is inside. But that's only half of the myth. You know, the other half of the myth is that once Pandora's box gets opened and the evils of the world get out, you can't get them back in. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's a very important feature as we look at what is happening right now. So I'm going to be an extremist tonight. Uh, I'm going to be an alarmist tonight. And I think that I have reason to be. Well, other people are raising concerns about things like ChatGPT. Again, I'll explain what what it is in just a second. Um, but I don't think they're coming at it from the perspective I am. You know, I don't see a lot of people taking the approach that I am taking, where I don't just consider this a threat because it could ruin jobs or you know increase corruption or whatever. I actually think this is an existential threat to what it means to be human. And 
I could be wrong, but the situation before us when we evaluate AI and especially this rapidly advancing AI, I mean, we're talking two months ago, this thing was not publicly available, obviously it was in development, but it wasn't, you know, I think it was published at like the first week in December, you know, so when we recorded this episode about Larry Manifesto, this chat GPT wasn't available. Now it is. Two months. Two months. And I have some predictions and not just my own predictions, but, you know, insight into what's coming within the year. Okay, so if, this is very much uh, Pascal's wager situation. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I don't think I am, but I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, we're fine. We can always do more with AI. We can always increase our reliance on it later. But if I'm right and we go down this road, Pandora's box is opened and you've effectively ended civilization as we know it. And I don't think that's an overstatement. I actually think we are at a watershed moment where we have opened up Pandora's box and we are risking not ending civilization in the sense that now we're in a you know nuclear wasteland, but ending civilization in terms of the structure, what our culture is, how we define ourselves as humans, how we function. I think all of that is at a tipping point. Okay, so what's ChatGPT? Well, ChatGPT is an AI um, that it, you are able to give it text input and it spits things back out to you. So, for example, um, you can say, uh, ChatGPT, I want you to write me a 10-page essay on why the sci-fi Christian is a great podcast. And it will do that, you know, that presumably it, it understands enough to be able to search the web to discover what the sci-fi Christian is. Uh, you know, I don't know if we would actually work with it, but with it, you know, that's the type of thing you can do. So it, it can produce that for you. I mean, that, the example you gave might be a little tough because it's just, it's, it's info. It, it's smartness is based on what it can find on the internet. If you were to say, write me uh But you can find us on the internet. Yeah. Yeah, but probably with limited info. But if you were to say, write me a two-page book report on Heart of Darkness. Correct. Done. Done. Uh, I, well, I had a friend who said he typed out his, or he took down his minutes from a meeting, put them into this uh, chat GPT and asked for it to be produced into an executive summary and it reformatted everything in a second. I mean, yep. uh, I've heard another person say, uh, just write me a story, write me a love story about two people uh, that live in Chicago. I'm just making this up. Yep. And it, I mean, it happens. It just instantly happens. Yes. Yeah. And it's songs, it's stories, it's yeah, poems. papers. You know, I have a friend who's a middle school teacher. They have had multiple, they've caught multiple instances of I guess you'd call it plagiarism. Mm -hmm. I don't know if plagiarism is quite right, but cheating yeah. via chat GPT. There are videos out there right now of how can you use GP chat GPT to do regular homework for yep. you. Yep. Uh, it can write code. Uh, it has, within the last week, passed an MBA exam. It has passed the bar exam. But am I right that its knowledge is internet-based? So it doesn't it know. It's not creating new like it's not thinking for itself. It is not an artificial general intelligence. Okay. Correct. Correct. This is not AGI. This is, and we talked about some of this in the Butlerian manifesto. This uh, artificial general intelligence is like, 
an actual mind thinking for mm-hmm. itself. Okay, so this is limited, but let's remember the Butlerian manifesto formula, you know, from Dune. Now, once men turn their thinking over to machines, which was bad because the machines were in control, no, which allowed other men with machines to enslave them. Okay, so you have this incredibly powerful tool, okay, and it's pales in comparison to what's coming. So here's what's coming. And this is an exaggeration. Within the year, you're going to have text to video. Meaning that, just like you can say, write me a love story about blah, blah, blah. You can say, give me a 20-minute movie about that. And it'll create it. Like animated or deep fake style? It'll probably be animated. It'll probably be very unconvincing at first. Mm-hmm. Okay. But within a year, you're going to see that. Within a couple years, it's probably deeply convincing. Within a few years, it's probably indistinguishable from reality. Okay? So that's where this is going. Chat GPT as it is right now is, I think it's version 3.0 of this technology. They're already working on 4.0. you know, the fusion of pop culture and, and AI, which I also talked about as a danger, is here. You know, you sent an article about they're using it to, Disney's used it to de-age Luke in the Mandalorian series or whatever. It was something like that. Yeah, it's, I think that the article is something about it can de-age anybody now fairly easily Yeah, with, the, with AI. I, I also saw a video on Reddit last night that is... And and these are innocuous uses at first, but you have to think about where is this going? Where is this going? And have we crossed a threshold? You know, we're all used to uh, dubbing in movies, and it's it's very entertaining mm-hmm. because what you're hearing is is clearly not matching the lips of the person who's speaking. Are, are you familiar with this movie Fall? No. So it's a thriller type movie, and it's got some. I don't know, it's just some dumb teenagers caught on a building or something in the desert, and they're high up, and so there's tension that they're going to fall, hence the title, Fall. That's probably not exactly the plot, but it's close enough. Anyway, when they filmed this movie, they filmed it uh, expecting it to be R-rated, so they had lots of you know profanity in it. Studio came back and said, no, I need you to make that PG-13. They used AI to make the dubbing seamless. So you can watch this video and the video starts with the R-rated cut and you know the character's using the F word. And then it goes to the PG-13 cut and she's using, you know, freaking or something like that. Indistinguishable. But the video goes on and it shows the Japanese cut. Japanese dubbing. AI makes her where her lips, her performance matches as though she's speaking Japanese and Spanish, and on it goes. Wow. that's imp- I didn't know that. That's pretty impressive. I have seen recently some videos of people... So I, I, didn't, I don't know that this is AI that's doing this, but there's some app that is allowing you to make your pictures move. So have you seen this where I could load a picture of my baby? Yeah. Mm, he's, he's three. My three-year-old. Right. And it, maybe he in the, in the picture, his mouth is closed, but this app will make... It open to a song, and I'm, it sounds similar. Do you think that's an AI product? Oh, totally, that? totally. You know, and it's basic versions. Like, and most of the stuff we should say is innocuous. But here's the thing: like, 
you have to look at this, and you can't just look at it in a vacuum. You have to look at this within the context of where our culture and our society is at. Well, our culture and society is at, at a tinderbox level in a lot of different ways. So think about, and a lot of these we've talked about, but, you know, think about education. Okay, so education, uh, whether it's rapid grade inflation, you know, that's making it more meaningless, whether it's the runaway cost of higher education, whether it's concerns about the content of education, you know, you kind of have this tinderbox. Things are very tense in the world of education. Introduce chat GPT, it's a spark, sends it up. The end education as you know it. That's what you're talking about, the stakes here. What about the economy? You know, the economy is a mess, right? Well, that's regardless of whether or not it's good or bad at the moment. It's a mess because you have all these layers of abstraction. You have, you know, prices that feel very artificial. We have uh, what's happening in terms of the stock market being divorced from reality. You introduce AI and suddenly you have nothing but insider trading between various AIs. You end your economy as you know it. That's happening. That's going to happen. You're going to see, likely, unless we ban it, uh, AI trading soon. It's probably already, I'm sure it's already being used where are you, indirectly. Where are you getting all of these predictions from? Well, it's common sense. Okay. <laughs> like, if from what we're seeing, just extrapolate it out. You have AI that's able to pass all of these exams. It's a already able to perform at the level of an intelligent adult human. Take it one step farther, okay? And look at this is what's happened in a couple of months. Give it another year. This thing's going to be so far beyond just what feels impressive right now. Oh, pass the bar exam. It's not even a footnote a year from now, okay? We just talked about this text-to-video. Uh, All right, so I want to paint this scenario for you few years from now, let's say we have another George Floyd type of event and people burn down a city because of it and the country, you know, is outraged, except it's not real. It never happened. That's a very real possibility. We're already like dealing without even introducing AI. And this is where I mean, like Tinderbox, we're already dealing with fake news and, and edited video and deep fakes and, and you know, ed highly is very loose interpretation of facts and facts are very nebulous right now. And thanks to the internet. And like we, we had a few Russian trolls do memes in the 2016 election. We acted like the world is going to end. That's going to look like nothing for the next election. It's nothing like probably not by 2024, but by 2028 presidential election, you'll have AI advanced enough where anything that you see, you will have to assume is not real. You're saying by the year 2024, you're going to have to question everything. Yeah. I mean, maybe not by then, because it depends on how fast it advances, but within a couple of years. You know, so that's your end of facts. That's your end of evidence. You know, you will be able, you will see somebody killed by a police officer or in any other direction, and you won't know if it's true. Okay? You will see a presidential scandal and you won't know if it happened, right? Like the Steele dossier, the, the whole thing, which we, we now know is a lie. Well, imagine you have the power of AI behind that. Now you have video of it, right? 
How you don't know what's true. So, so we're ending facts. We're ending evidence. And we've already seen how you know, video and and our current state and social media have already had real world consequences. Uh, it's the end of art. Like we've talked about this, and but I want to extrapolate this a little bit more. I want to go a little bit farther. Like why is AI art so dangerous? Like why are you against it? You know why why can't you just let people enjoy things as the the pop culture thing goes? Because there's nobody on the other side. Well, we've talked about art as the great conversation, right? It's not a great conversation anymore. It's just a machine feeding you what you want so that you can be the product. You know, we talk about the soulless corporations, but at least at least there's a human. Like, at least there are humans involved when Disney is, is just churning out crap. At least there's a person there. There's a mind. There's no mind here. There's nothing. You know, art... Like, my criticism of pop culture is that it feeds your sense of gratification. It feeds your sense of entertainment. What is art supposed to do? Art is supposed to ultimately lift you up to God. You know? Like, why does modern art suck? Because it doesn't do that. Like, it doesn't do that. Okay? So now you take that and you take, rip out every last remaining shred that's redeemable about it. And that's what you have with AI art. And guess what? When you lose art, you lose culture. So it's the end of art. It's the end of culture. Okay? What about church? Like, look at COVID. How many churches, how many people went home for COVID and have just sat online for online church? You're saying they never went back. They never went back. Yeah. Tons. Tons. So, you know, I like church i like the songs i like the sermon sometimes it bugs me wouldn't it be better eventually you will have ai church what does that mean to you i don't know what that means ai generated quote unquote i use the term in the loosest possible sense worship ai generated sermon i mean i don't remember if we talked so about it'll be that. a pastor but yeah. it'll be a virtual like 100 not even a real human there's 100%. no real human we already like didn't we talk about I can't remember if we talked about it on the air or not, but there was this video from the Episcopalian Church envisioning future church. They, like, your pastoral counseling will be done by AI. Yeah, I do remember that. I don't know if we talked about it on the yeah. air. So you want it to be a little more liberal in its theology? Just adjust the slider. You know? Maybe you want your you want it to call you out on your sin? Oh, but maybe not that sin. Like you want it to talk about uh, sexual sins but not gluttony? You would just adjust your sliders on this. When I was researching ChatGPT, I actually heard that you can get a form of therapy from ChatGPT. You can say something like, why do I always struggle with this issue? And then it will, of course, just from whatever I can find on the internet, shoot back some pretty reasonable answers that like, usually people will be paying for. But there it is on ChatGPT. And that's the, pro that's the trap. The trap is that it's going to work, right? The trap is that when you hear AI church, you hear the AI sermon, you'll feel like you heard a real sermon. The trap is that when you watch an AI-generated movie, you'll be entertained, probably more entertained than by a normal movie. The trap is that when you get the AI therapy, it will feel like it's helping you. But guess what you have done? You have turned your thinking over to machines, you've sacrificed your humanity. You've you've 
literally stopped being human in the sense that you are human right now. I think you mentioned this in the air before. I can't remember for sure. It just hit me, though. In the same way we can get personalized counseling from AI, I, I believe, and I think you did mention this, that AI could make a film for you. Oh, yeah. No, it's, you, it's coming. You tell it your interests, or it says, you say, here are all the movies I really like. Yes. And then it will produce a, some sort of super movie for you. Yeah, that's not even... that. That's like remember the parks and recreation where Patton Oswalt's like doing this whole stupid, you know, yeah. the super the Star Wars yeah, and Avengers that. and all of Yeah. So Disney has the rights to all of here. Yeah. You can choose what characters would you like to see. Yeah. Here's your movie. That's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. The listeners can't see how much I'm smiling. I know. But like, do you understand why that's dangerous? <laughs> Tell me what. Um why would watching something that you enjoy a lot be make you less human? Because it's not made by another human? Because it's masturbation. And don't edit that out because okay. I actually mean it. Okay. Okay? Art is is meant to be it is not, like it's a cul-de-sac. You're the dead end. Okay? There's nothing else going on here besides you and your pleasure. That's it. That's it. And it will be so effective that it will be an addiction. Okay, think of how hard it is to watch or read a great book or watch a great movie when you've just been consuming pop culture. Ramp that up by times a thousand. That's what you're talking about. That's the danger. How hard it is, like how much work it takes to to read a book now compared to 10 years ago. Ramp that up by a thousand. That's what's coming. Yes. And yes. That is the end of your humanity in a meaningful sense. When you give your entertainment over to machines, you will become a slave to the people behind those machines. Guaranteed. It is not good. Like this is like there's I I actually think this is the premier moral issue of our time. You know, and part of why I'm pissed off right now is because. Like by the time the church gets around to having an opinion on this, it's too late. It's probably already too late. Like here's what I think should happen. You make me king right now. Here, what do I do? I ban Chat GPT. I ban anything else like it. I give a one-time amnesty to anybody who's developing anything like this. And then starting six months from now, you develop anything like this. There's a multi-year prison sentence attached to it. I'm dead serious. I think the stakes are that bad. Like, I think the stakes are that high. At this point, where we are right now, we stay here right now today, I think Pandora's box is already open. It sure feels like it. Like, I don't see us going back or back from this. Doesn't feel like it. So it seems like you're you're asking for a call to action of some sort. Absolutely. I, and I have I have a call to action here. I, I just, I'm, I'm ready to hear it. I just think it might be too late. Well, okay. So yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Because you're right. It's too late for the culture, but it's not too late for individuals, right? So here's what's going to happen. You know, what's going to happen is every one of us on an individual level is going to have to decide where we land on this. And you're going to have to decide now. If you wait till a year from now, it might be too late. You might be too addicted to whatever is rolled out. That's 
I, I honestly think that's the reality. You might be so invested in a virtual world that has so warped your idea of entertainment, of facts, of everything else, of evidence, that you might not be able to effectively untangle yourself. I, I honestly think that's, like, this is escalating that fast. And I could be wrong. Like, I could be wrong on all of this. It could just be nice and fine and we all go along, but I don't see that. Like, I honestly think this is the fall of Rome. This is the fall of the Roman Empire right now. Okay? You know, and it's up to the churches. Like, why did the monastic tradition start? To preserve culture. You know, like, I do have a response, but let me make a recommendation first. Uh, go read a canticle for Leibowitz. That is how we have to live. So if you haven't read A Canticle for Leibowitz, here's the plot. It takes place at a monastery uh, in the ashes of a nuclear holocaust. And this monastery is preserving culture. They're doing what monastics have done. And then over the course of the novel, because it takes place over hundreds of years, society rebuilds itself. And the novel ends with the next catastrophe. And they have to do it again. Well, that's where we are, Right. Like Augustine's City of God. You know, go read Augustine's City of God. Why? Because City of God is written as Augustine's looking at the fall of Rome. And he, he's saying, what does this mean? You know, like that's where you are. Okay. And what's going to be scary about it is that unlike previous falls of civilization, where, you know, the barbarians are at the gates, this is going to look more like Wally. <laughs> this is going to look more like the matrix. Like we're going to be conquered as a people. And we're not even going to know it because we're going to be addicted. We're already addicted. How many of you listening to this are addicted to your phones? I am. Like, how many of you have addictions that you didn't have 10 years ago? I do. You know, it's like this, this is bad. This is really bad. Okay. So what do you need to do on an individual level? Um, Overall statement to this, you need to think about, whether it's your phone, whether it's entertainment, whether it's anything else, if you can't choose, you're already a slave. Okay, so you need to have your have that idea in your head when we're talking about this. First thing you need to do, you need to wean yourself off pop culture. Does that mean absolute zero? Probably not yet. But it's time to reduce it in your life. Like, I think the stakes are that that big learn how to enjoy things that were written more than 20 years ago or filmed more than 20 years ago why are those two things connected i'm talking about ai and pop culture in your mind well because of what we were just talking about like the whole ai is going to be writing this entertainment it's going to you know pop culture has already been going in this direction without the help of ai and now you just amplify it a thousandfold mm -hmm. like you know, people are less able to enjoy, quote unquote, slower, older, deeper things. It's all in this surface level of CGI and explosions. Well, now you ramp that up a thousandfold because it's perfectly suited for you. For you. Uh, I do have a quote I want to find here uh, from Nick Cave, who is a great singer. And he said, so his fans sent him a chat gpt song that was meant to uh, uh, 
mimic a Nick Cave song. And, and uh, let me get his. What he said was just terrific. He's, he called it a grotesque mockery of what it is to be human. He's right. So if you know anything about Nick Cave, I'm trying to think of what the best touch point would be for people. Uh, you know, his song Red Right Hand is in Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> so just, just, go, just go listen to Nick Cave. He's terrific. But the ChatGPT song had this chorus. I am the sinner. I am the saint. I am the darkness. I am the light. I am the hunter. I am the prey. I am the devil. I am the saver. It's very Nick Cave-esque. Like, if you've ever heard his stuff, it's that. He says this, and I'm going to read his whole quote here. Suffice to say, I do not feel the same enthusiasm around this technology. I understand that ChatGPT is in its infancy. Very good point. But perhaps that is the emerging horror of AI, that it will forever be in its infancy, as it will always have further to go, and the direction is always forward, always faster. It can never be rolled back or slowed down, as it moves us toward a utopian future, maybe, or our total destruction. Who can possibly say which? Judging by this song, in the style of Nick Cave, though, it doesn't look good. The apocalypse is well on its way. This song sucks. Writing a good song is not mimicry, or replication, or pastiche. It is the opposite. It is an act of self-murder that destroys all one has strived to produce in the past. It is those dangerous, heart-stopping departures that catapult the artist beyond the limits of what he or she recognizes as their known self. This is part of the authentic, creative struggle that precedes the invention of a unique lyric of actual value. It is the breathless confrontation with one's vulnerability, one's perilousness, one's smallness, pitted against a sense of sudden, shocking discovery. It is the redemptive artistic act that stirs the heart of the listener where the listener recognizes in the inner workings of the song their own blood their own struggle their own suffering it may sound like i'm taking all this too personally but i'm a songwriter who is engaged at this very moment in the process of songwriting it's a blood and guts business here at my desk that requires something of me to initiate the new and fresh idea it requires my humanness with all the love and respect in the world this song is be a grotesque mockery of what it is to be human and well i don't much like it just phenomenal i could not agree more i mean that's what's at stake like you hear that and it's like does does that resonate at all because if it doesn't resonate at all like we failed on this podcast to talk about what it means to engage in art you know and that's the problem because it takes work, as Nick Cave is putting it, to produce something like that. But it also takes work for you as the, as the hearer to appreciate it, to let it get inside your soul. And now you're in a conversation with him, okay? Like, go look up you know, Michelangelo's Pieta. Maybe the most art, incredible artistic sculpture ever made. And it's like you're in a conversation with Michelangelo. It's like his it transcends time and space. But more than that, because you're in a conversation with God now, because and if you're not familiar with the Pieta, it's the it's Mary holding the body of Christ as he's taken off the cross. And and you can stare at that thing for hours and you can lose yourself in it because you've been lifted up to something greater than yourself. But it takes work. And when you 
are dumbed down by pop culture, which is what so much, not all, but so much of it does. It's not merely that you aren't doing that hard work, because I get that that not every artistic experience can be hard work, but you're atrophying your muscles. Like That's why C.S. Lewis says for every new book we read, we should read an old book, you know. That's why, like, I've, like, you know, yeah, it's fine. Watch superhero movies, but not just that. But now we talk about something that will be designed to addict you, designed to not just be an occasional pleasure, but to trap you where you don't have anything else. So if you don't start getting yourself off pop culture now, it's going to be too late. That's the reality. Okay. Your actual humanity is at stake. So that's step one. Step two, you got to reduce the technology footprint in your life, or at least stop it in its tracks. I had a conversation with my wife last night, and I said, we shouldn't get any more smart devices. None. <laughs> like, we're done. No more smart TVs. No, no more Alexas. None of that. We should stop it right here. Not saying get rid of anything, but stop it. Why? Because you're, you're inviting all of this into your home. Okay. So if one not literal, but, but archetypal definition of the demonic is that which steals away your humanity, then you're inviting literal demons into your home, potentially. And are you saying these devices can only get more addictive? Yeah. So, and it, well, it's not just the addiction, though. It's the presence of that. It's the presence of that. Like, you know, how often do you get in the car and, and you don't load up Google Maps right now? You're just trained. I need this to know where I'm going, even when I already know where I'm going. Like, like try driving sometimes without it. You know, start. You've got to reduce that footprint. You're, you're, you're. What do you mean? You drive home with a map on? Yeah. Oh, I don't do that. Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> you're, you're one up on me then. But I do need a GPS to get places I've never been. Right. But like, What's the benefit of having a map on if you know where you're going? I like to know. I like to beat it. <laughs> like it says, I'll be home in. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> so you're, like, if it says 22 minutes, I can do it in 21. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah, I, I like to beat it. <laughs> uh, that's my own thing. But it's like uh, every piece of technology you introduce into your life is creating a new level of dependence for you. Uh so you have to stop that. You know, you have to start limiting screen addiction. Like it's an actual addiction. It is actually hard. It's like quitting a substance. And if you don't quit it now, if you don't learn how to watch a movie without looking at your phone now, it's going to be impossible. Like we're about to upgrade you. From alcohol to heroin. That's the addiction level. That's that's where we're going. So if you find the addiction hard at alcohol, get off the train before the heroin shows up. That's the stakes that you're dealing with. Um, you have to do that. You have to do that. You have to reduce the level of technology. And I'm in IT. Okay? It's not off the table that at some point I'll have to switch careers. Like, I think that's a real possibility. What makes you feel that way? 
I, I, I think that if technology heads down a road where you can't accomplish technological goals without this. Like AI helping you? Yeah. And not all AI, you know, because AI is everywhere and a lot of it, you know, it's like just because that label slapped on something doesn't mean we need to flip out and burn things down. Um, but let's say dangerous AI, and I'd put chat GPT in the dangerous AI category. Uh, you know, if we reach the point where that's a requirement, I don't know what I do because it's immoral. Like, I actually think it's immoral. That's the problem, is that we need a theology of AI. We actually do. We need to treat this as a moral issue. Because it is. So, so obviously, this episode is anti... Very anti. Chat GPT. But, as you've been hearing about what it, it's capable of, I'll admit I've been tempted by it. Have you been tempted at all to just check it out? No. I, I haven't used it yet. You know, it's not like checking it out is going to damn your soul. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. But do I think that you should use it to supplement your work? I do not. I do not. I think that's a very, like, don't go, don't cross that line because you won't uncross it. I have been interested in seeing what you could get to create. Like, it's fake art. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and whatever you can do now is going to be light years different than what it can do right. six I mean, months from I mean, now. again, I, we keep giving examples of what it can do, but... Like, I've heard other people saying, instead of getting an administrative assistant at my office, I can just say to ChatGPT, write me a, a thank you note for this person's donation of $10,000, and then it will just put one out there for you. Yeah. And that's... I mean, that's an example. You, you can have it do tons of different things like that. It, it is intriguing. I, I'm thinking... Like, like, use that example. So thank you notes a lot of times, especially corporate thank you notes, are feel very empty, right? Yeah, run of the mill. You, run like, of the mill. Like I've done thank you notes, and you try to personalize them a little bit, but they're pretty much the same except for maybe one sentence. So already they're not in a great place. What you just described rips the last shred of decency out of them. Like It really does. Like It is now a lie. You cross that line. I I actually think you are telling a lie. If you have somebody point. else write your thinking, not, not you. some no, not because you didn't have somebody something else. Something else. Yeah, you didn't have somebody else did. You had a machine do it. Like that's not true anymore at that point. Even if you told the machine, even if 100%. you wanted the machine to do it, I mean, the computer will allow me to print notes. Or what. But there there is a difference. There is one hundred percent a difference. You know. I don't want to get stuck on specific yeah, I, I examples, but here's my theology in a nutshell. This probably should be its own episode, but I'll give you my theology of AI in a nutshell. Uh, and it comes from a theology of sin. Sin is not rule-breaking. Sin is the destruction of our humanity. So the rules are the rules to keep us from running off the cliff, you know, Chesterton has a great analogy about that, that like, if you imagine a playground on the top of a cliff and, and there's no wall, the children are going to be terrified to play. The wall is there to prevent them from running off the cliff. So a theology of sin, uh, I'm with Aquinas on this, in that sin doesn't exist. Sin is literal non-existence. Sin is that which robs us of our existence. Okay, so then 
God makes us in his image. So what does it mean to be human? We've talked about that question a lot. Well, if we answer that theologically, we have to start and stop with, and say a lot in between, but we start and stop with the statement that humanity is made in the image of God. Okay, so what does it mean to be human? It means to be God's image bearers. Whatever else we want to say, that's our starting point, that's our stopping point from a theological Christian perspective. All right, so then what is AI doing? It's robbing you of your humanity. It is robbing you of your humanity. So why is it sin? It's sin because it's destroying the image of God inside of you. It's making you a slave. It's making you a shell. It's enslaving you to other people. Right, so I'm not at the point. Like this is not me in prepper mode. This is not me saying put a bullet through your computer before it it looks at you sideways. This is not me saying anything like that. This is me saying like it's time to start preparing yourself for what's coming because we've crossed a watershed moment. You know, another thing to do: limit your focus. Like we talk about, like you're not going to know what's true. When you go onto Twitter, you're not going to know what's true when you see a video. Okay. So don't focus on that stuff. You can't, like, it's all an illusion anyway. Voting's an illusion, at least at that level. You know, you think you can affect something. You get all worked up about who's going to be president. You get all worked up about who's who's doing this or that in Washington. Well, within a few years, you won't even know if that's true. You won't even know if the things you're getting worked up about are true. So it's time to shift your focus to what you can control. Your family, your church, community, all of that. No, it's time to limit your focus. Okay? Yeah, that seems like a good one. All right, last one I have. This is going to be a controversial one. Uh Uh-oh. So don't, I'll say this in advance. For most of you, you're going to brush this off. Don't use this as a reason to discard the rest of the episode, okay? But when we look at religiously where we're at, like, we're in a situation where when things are good, you can expand out. We're heading into a situation where the church is going to need to be united. So it's time to come home. If not to the Catholic Church to the Eastern Orthodox Church. It's time to get yourself to a church with those historic roots. I know most people aren't going to listen to that. Most people aren't going to agree with it. I get it. I don't get that one. Why Why, why not be... Like, why can't I say Protestant during this time? Because the Protestant church lacks the depth to withstand what's coming. Every, every denomination. Yes. There's, yes. there's zero... <laughs> Zero Protestant domination. Yes, and I don't want to get into a whole thing about that, but it's like you need the depth of the church. You need that 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 two thousand year old historical depth there. You need the what like look at COVID as an example. You know, I saw this here in the Twin Cities where you had churches being shut down, and it was the Catholic Church that had the ability to stand up to it in a way that other churches didn't. It's time to come home. We need unity, and only the Catholic Church offers the unity that we need to withstand what's coming. That's my argument. You mentioned Eastern Orthodox. You you said only Catholic. I do think only the Catholic Church, but I'll say this for the Eastern Orthodox Church, is that at least there is a historical depth there. I think Catholic is better, obviously, but I think you need the depth, and we need the unity, 
it's time to time to give that thought. I know all I'm saying. I know we've done an episode on Eastern Orthodox. I can't remember why you feel like they have more depth than Protestantism. Because they go back two thousand years. How and how far back does? Well, the Catholic and Orthodox Church share the same origin. Yeah, you know they go back all the way. Um, you know, I'm sure everybody's oh, wow. mad. Now, how many years would you say the Protestant Church goes back to? That's nah. five hundred. To, to Martin Luther. It is a big difference. It is a big well, and but it's also you know it's more than that. It's it's that I don't think, and this is a bigger conversation, but I don't think Protestantism has the ecclesial structure to to build true unity. No, I think the nature of Protestantism is one that cannot withstand what's coming from a cultural perspective and make no mistake there's lots of rot in the catholic church too but there's a core there and pope benedict talked about this there's a core there that will be preserved and it's been preserved for two thousand years but i don't think the protestant churches and it doesn't mean like i don't have anything against faithful protestants but institutionally we need to actually look at this because what's coming is gonna be hell like, this is going to be bad. That's that. All right, listeners. Well, like Ben said, <laughs> made a lot of good points. Even if you don't want to become Catholic, I'm sure there's still some things you can take away from this episode. Kind of a weird way to end it, though, don't you think? No, not at all. I actually think, like, I actually feel very strongly about that. I, I, I feel like, and it's it, it, like, I knew, it, I knew you weren't going to. Well, agree? I, yeah, I'm no, I, no, no, no. But I knew you weren't going to agree, and I knew most people weren't going to agree. But I didn't think I could, in good conscience, not say that because I feel that strongly about. Like it. this is the that's the major. You feel like that's the most important point you made. Yeah, I do. All right, and listeners. So it, I, I feel it's like I feel like the storm that's coming to our culture is such where that needs to be said, and I think most people will dislike it. But if one person hears it and it moves them even a little bit, it's worth saying, even if it makes the ending of the episode awkward, I don't care. It's the right thing to say because it's what we need. All right, listeners, that's all from here. I'm Matt Anderson. I'm Ben DeVone. And we're the Sci-Fi Goodbye. Signing off.